Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Balloon mania. Well, I tell you what, that thing is... I guess it could be in the Carolinas by Sunday, the way it's going. You think the story is overinflated? <laughs> Pun intended, yeah. <laughs> Truthfully. I remember, do you remember toward the end of last year, people were saying stuff like, um, boy, I just hope next year is a better year and a normal year. And mm-hmm. it's got to be, it can't be like it was, you know, 2023 has got to be better. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, the hot topic is a balloon. Yes, Jack, but not just any balloon. It's not exactly a birthday balloon we're talking well, about. Well, I know. Here. I know. But it is does a it not strike yeah. you? I mean, if it's the worst thing it could possibly be, all right, let's say it's it's bristling with weapons or some new virus. I mean, does it not strike you as bizarre that a balloon is what has galvanized the most powerful nation on Earth? What should we do about the balloon? Here's my theory on this. I'm re- I'm ready. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but my, I'm mm-hmm. leaning toward this is obviously intentional on the part of China. And mm-hmm. I think it's intentional on our end, too. And I think what's so fascinating about the story is not the balloon itself, but mm-hmm. it's the it's the question people are asking like this one. Under any previous president you or I could think of, would China pull this right now? Yeah, well, but also, uh, it just seems like back in the day, we would have been, th- this this balloon would have been either captured or downed immediately. And I'm not talking about one party or the other. Yeah. The, the, we we are nuancing and splitting hairs uh, over something that should be really, really clear. And it's not a, it, to be to be clear, it's not like people are panicking about, a rumor, you know, or a, you know, a, a faux news story. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. people have seen it. It's really, it's really there. So anyway, we're going to start with the balloon. And of course, because this is a big story for really big stories on the Jack Riccardi show, we have specially crafted theme music for this story. Here it is. I don't think you can ride in it. By the way, do you think they haven't shot it down because there's classified documents on board? I don't know, just throwing that in there. Just trying to conflate all the stories into one story. All right, so here's the latest. Um, as you heard Christian say, the um, the Chinese now say it's their balloon, but it's a it's a weather and scientific observing balloon. It's science, you know, and 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 so if you believe in science, you should probably just genuflect when it goes over. But um, it's it was just gathering some data uh, over the Pacific, and then prevailing winds uh, overcame its steering mechanism, and they did not intend for it to drift over every major air force base in the Western United States. It just did that. The wind just did that. You know, like if you lose your kite 
or a kid lets go of his little, you know, balloon with a string at the carnival, you know. Uh, next thing you know, it's, it's, it's hitting all the sack bases. That's what they do. And, um, I, I, I've read everything I can get my hands on. I've listened to people across the spectrum. I have not heard a good reason for why we would not, as Christian and I were just talking about, either capture the balloon or just take it down. And then I came up with one that maybe I'll just throw it out there. I'm not saying I believe this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. During the Cold War, there were things we could do and the Soviets could do, but we refrained from doing because if we did it, then they would do it, then we would do it, then they would do it. So there were things like you didn't kill each other's agents uh, and stuff like that. There were just a few rules that, that it was felt like if we go down this path, nothing good will come of it. It'll be tit for tat for tit for tat for tit for tat. So they just didn't do it. Is it possible? Is it possible that this kind of technology is used so extensively by the United States and other countries that they don't want to start a quid pro quo thing with the balloon? I, I'm just throwing that out there because we probably do something. We probably have stuff like this and. Uh, there are people saying we do, and we probably do. Uh, but I, I, you know, it, it, it goes without saying that, as Christian said, not only is it, uh, does it give a pretty clear indication of the fecklessness and aimlessness of the Biden administration, but really this is kind of our politics as a whole right now. It's not just Joe Biden. Um, we are being sized up by the world as a country that will dither and on the other hand, and we're more, our, our biggest enemies as a country are people who vote differently from us. We, we do not have a conception of real threats in the world. I don't mean our, I don't mean our intelligence professionals or our military. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the American people. The American people have been brainwashed into thinking that their enemy is the other party, that their enemy is people who voted for the other candidate, that the, the, the real fascists, the real terrorists are people who disagree with them about abortion or school choice. And when you get into that mindset, it's impossible to really, you can't, there's no room in that worldview for the Chinese balloon because you're so busy pro- you know, uh, forecasting the end of the world if the other party wins an election or wins a majority or doesn't give you a seat on the committee or whatever it is. That's what we've done. So I'm sure we have the capability to disable the balloon or, or capture the balloon, you know, like tow it, grab onto it and tow it and land with it or something. But, but for whatever reason, we're, we're not doing that. And people don't seem very stirred up about it. Like, I, I can I can remember a time in talk radio when something like this you'd have the phones would be on fire they'd be melting down and I, I don't sense that there's a lot of outrage about this you know there's there's maybe some curiosity about it but people are reacting to this like Democrats and Republicans they're not reacting to this like Americans. And this is something that came from, and there's no, look, there's, as, as you've heard every expert we've had on this week say, there is no difference between the Chinese government and anything, uh, you know, emanating from their military, their, their corporate sector. It's all the same. It's all a block. I'm not talking about the Chinese people. I'm talking about, 
Uh, something like a, a research balloon is not innocuous when it comes from China. It might be innocuous if it came from Belgium, but it's not innocuous if it comes from China. So they're flying over the skies of the United States. You heard the Biden administration say that when they detected it, although we don't know when that was, they made sure that it could not capture data or take pictures. Well, does that mean it was doing that? How did they make sure it wasn't doing that? Did they damage it? They haven't said that. Uh, it, do they have some means of, of blocking it from doing that? I don't know. Or are they just blustering? So what they're saying is we're leaving it there, but it, it can't do anything. Well, they haven't said what it was doing. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, they, they said they were altering operations at certain bases that were in the line of sight of the balloon. Well, that makes it sound pretty serious. Like, you can't, on the one hand, say it's no biggie and then say you're doing stuff like that. And as we talked about yesterday, the, the earlier in the week, the excuse for not downing it was, well, we're worried about where the debris would fall. I don't have to remind you that on September 11th, they were prepared to shoot down jetliners, jumbo jets over American cities. So I don't think that's in our, I don't think that's in our doctrine. Oh, don't ever shoot anything down because you don't know where it will land. Let's, let's maybe put some clarity on that before the rest of the world thinks we've lost our freaking minds. So 210-599-5555, we're going to talk about the balloon. This really is more than a balloon. This is about other things. Just the balloon part of it is sort of surreal. And then, you know, um, there was a moment of absolute theater in the Congress. Now, here's what they really care about, the politicians. Here's what they do get passionate about, not the sovereignty of our border or the security of our skies or the, uh, you know, the, the, the global all-consuming showdown with communist China. What they care about is that their favorite people get seated on the right committees in Congress. And AOC was in fine form as they were all defending their squad colleague, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Here's cut number one. Take a listen to this. Senator Ocasio-Cortez. The gentlewoman is recognized for one minute. (laughs) Thank you. Now, as also as a fellow New Yorker, I think one of the things that we should talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy. Consistency, there is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an abdi- a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and, 
an, an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. Yeah, she uh, she practiced that in front of the mirror numerous times. The, the hand gestures were glorious. Oh, it was like that kid that tried out for every play in school, even though they told her you can't be in every play, we have to rotate it. But she tried out for every one of them. That's AOC. And they were all screaming and yelling their heads off. Rashida Tlaib got in the act. She started crying. But here's what this is about, okay? Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is not getting seated um, on a couple of committees per the the decision of House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy. This is a new thing that the Democrats started against MAGA Republicans when they had the majority. So first of all, whether you agree or not with what he's doing, they opened the door through which he's walked. Secondly, she's an anti-Semite, and she's a, a person who's compared America to Hamas and al-qaeda so it isn't that she's a woman of color it's she's she's a turncoat dirtbag if the people in her district want her to represent them if they want to be represented by a turncoat dirtbag if they want to be represented by somebody who was rescued by america and now has turned on america that is their prerogative they have the right to do it and i even said yesterday if i were the republicans i think you could make a good argument for leaving her on the committee let her be showcased let people see the vitriol, the hatred, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Americanism that the Democrats are so proud of. They actually gave AOC and Tlaib and these others this opportunity to put on this big act, this big song and dance routine by taking her off the committee. It might have been, might have been better just leave her on there since she's going to be in the Congress anyway. But anyway, that, that happened. And see, that's an interesting contrast to me. When I look at the fire and the passion, as faux as it is, I don't hear them talking about national security or the American people that way. This is about something that's in, you know, this is inside baseball. One of our own is not being treated fairly. One of our own isn't getting to sit where she wanted to sit. And our feelings are hurt. So in the people's house that you and I were excluded from because some maniacs went into it two years ago, in the people's house, where they all just won an election, where they all just went back to their districts and talked a good game about, I'm here for you, and it's not about me, it's about you. It's all about them. And the balloon floats overhead. <laughs> while, they're, while they're carrying on like this, the balloon just floats on overhead. Reality floats overhead while they put on a play in the House of Representatives. 210-599-5555. Uh, should uh, we shoot down China's spy balloon? Or do you have some other idea about it or some other theory or why we can't do that? 210-599-5555. Richard is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Richard, good afternoon. How you doing, Jack? I'm good, thank you, Richard. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Just a quick history lesson. SAC was deactivated back in 1992, and in 2010, the Air Force stood up Global Strike Command, and they're oh, in charge okay. of the bomber and our and our ICBM. I, I will make triad. sure not to use that that numero, that uh, nomenclature again. But I think no, you no, got my good. point. I think you got my point. I don't think I don't think you missed the point because I used an outdated term, right? 
Correct. Uh, what I just want to say is I think if this was our technology, it would be down in China already. And here's what I base it on. How many times have we heard stories of our naval uh, MSEC intelligence gathering planes flying within 200 miles of the Sea of China, the border of China, and they send their fighters up? Yeah, to no, I agree with you. They, they, would, they would not have tolerated it. They would have taken it down. So why haven't we? I have no idea. That's perplexing me. And I've been working for the Air Force for 33 years, and I'm confounded. You really have no, like, no, uh, like, take a wild guess. I mean, is it is it because we think that that would lead to other things or, a, 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 a you know, a cascade of events that we don't want to start? Is it that? Well, maybe the people that track this stuff want to see where it ends up at and see how many of our installations that overpasses. That's just a guess. What do you make of them saying we've made sure it can't take photos? What what I don't understand what that means. That that I'm not sure. I, I was security in the Air Force. That's way above my security. Oh, clearance. okay. All right. Well, at least we got the sack thing straightened out, Richard. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Have a good weekend. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Yeah, I, I mean it's. I'm not even. I, I, this isn't just a Biden thing. We're, we're changing as a, as a as a country. Um. I, you know, when I was when I was a young guy, when I was first getting into radio, one of the first big stories I remember being involved with in terms of like reading as a newscaster was the Soviets had shot down a Korean jetliner, uh, Korean Airlines Flight Seven, and there were some Americans on board. There was an American congressman on board. Everybody got killed. the The Soviets claimed that they thought it was a, a bomber, not a civilian aircraft. There was white hot outrage. Republicans, this was during Reagan, Republicans and Democrats were competing with each other to say how egregious, how uh, capricious, how um, intolerable this was. People are like, now you, 2023, eh, I'm sure it's just going to blow over. In a way, that's the data of all data. You know, whatever it's taken pictures of or didn't take pictures of, the balloon could have been nothing but a balloon. And it's actually shown the Chinese that we're really not up for this. You know, they have ideas. You heard our guests this week. They have a long-range plan. They're not like other adversaries we've faced throughout history. They have a, a vision and a depth and a breadth to it, and they play the long game. It's very Confucius, Confucianist, if you will, that, um, this will be, they will be the center of everything. And they will be the dominant power. And they will be depended on or feared. And I'm not saying we should try to do that or be that. But we have to engage in that. We have to confront that. We're not. We don't want to. And when you look at our so-called leaders and you see what gets them fired up, what, what gets their temper, it's this thing with Ilhan Omar. Now, Ilhan Omar isn't just critical of Israel, as I saw in a number of articles today. Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. She doesn't just disagree with the current Israeli government. She doesn't believe that Israel should be a state. Okay, she thinks 9-11 was when some people did something. She has blatantly 
repeated and amplified classic anti-Semitic themes. And recently, when she sort of kind of said she was sorry, what she really said was she was sorry if what she said had offended anyone. She wasn't saying she was sorry for saying it or she was incorrect about it. We know what an art, what an apology sounds like, and that wasn't it. And, of course, we talked about identity politics the other day, and here it is. All of these scream fest speeches were about how racist it is to unseat her from the committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee. Well, then what about the unseating of Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff from the Intelligence Committee? Was that Islamophobic too? Was that a war on women of color? It gives the lie to the whole thing. They're defending Ilhan Omar by not defending her. And I have to give the Democrats credit. When they, when they get a good idea, they hang on to it with both hands. And they know that Republicans get wobbly when they're called racist or anti-woman. They will go to any length to disprove that. They can't shrug it off. They can't say, well, that's ridiculous. That's not what this is about. They know that about Republicans, and so that's why they keep saying it. You want to know why we have identity politics? Because identity politics works for them. It's destructive. It's even destructive to the people it purports to favor or defend, but it but it works for them. It's getting tedious to watch what they will get fired up about contrasted with the things that we the people face, that our country faces. So the most passion, the most emotion, the most energy of the week was about where she gets to sit. Does that that seem right to you? Does that that match up with you? is Is that what you're most excited about? So we've got the balloon. We've got Ilhan Omar. And over the course of the week, obviously... We have the Hunter Biden story and the documents and, and the, the new, the new strategy from Team Biden. It's a big change. Now the laptop absolutely is Hunter's, but he's a victim because people have been looking at it and disseminating what was on it. And he's coming for him. He's coming for that guy that owns the computer repair shop. He's coming for Tucker Carlson. He's coming for news organizations. He's coming for all the people that have said bad things about him. Is of his sterling character. So, how, what what is the what is the lay of the land for this new legal strategy? We wanted to ask uh, Professor Bill Pyatt at St. Mary's University School of Law, joining the show on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Uh, Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, Jack. So, I guess now we know it is his laptop. Um, which for two years it wasn't or it might not be. Um, but w- what is the, um, what's the likelihood that he could actually proceed uh, with lawsuits or go after uh, people that have reported or, you know, printed or disseminated what was on that laptop? Well, the big thing that stands in his way is the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. So we all know that if someone says something false about us, 
that causes damage to our reputation and we can prove damages, we can sue and we can recover. And that's kind of what Hunter Biden is hinting that he's going to do with these news organizations. The difficulty is, though, that in 1964, the United States Supreme Court, in the case of New York Times Company versus Sullivan, said that if the person who's bringing the lawsuit, that is, if it's a plaintiff who is a public official or a public figure, not only does that public figure have to prove that the statement was false and that it caused damages, but that public official or figure also has to prove that the statement was made with actual malice, meaning that the defendant either knew the statement was false or recklessly disregarded whether it might be false. The so, difficulty... Let me just jump in for a minute. So the, the first hurdle, I guess, would be that. He's a public figure. Um. It seems like another problem, though, is that the computer itself uh, seems not legally to have been in his possession anymore. In other words, it's abandoned property. Yes, that's a property concept. He abandoned that by agreeing in contract that if he didn't come back for 90 days, he was giving it up. The 90 days passed, the store owner tried to make contact, and then finally turned it over to the FBI. At the end of the 90 days, whatever claim to anything that he had on that computer, he's abandoned. So to come back now and say that it was his property, it's a little bit of a thin argument, especially when he's then going to take that and try to bootstrap it into attacking the people that are reporting these things and reporting the things that are on the laptop as causing him defamation, harm to his reputation, etc. Now, if he, and we don't know, this could all be bluster, but, but if they proceed... Um, isn't he also, and I may be using the term wrong, I, I probably watch too many legal shows, but isn't he opening himself up to a process of discovery that would not be favorable to him or even perhaps to his father? Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. Once he files a civil lawsuit, the people that he is suing get to engage in discovery, meaning he will have to answer their questions under oath and provide documents under oath. And among the things they would want to know is, was it in fact his laptop? Uh, They would ask him about the documents that they pulled and identified, where they came from, the origin of those. I mean, this could open a whole can of worms. Uh, It's often a very risky business to bring a defamation action. In this case, it looks like there is uh, to Hunter Biden, to his father, uh, to the whole operation that he had put in motion as reflected on that computer. So if you had to guess, based on what you've just laid out for us, uh, will they actually proceed with this? It's kind of hard to imagine that they would make the threat and then not do anything. Uh, I don't know what would happen if they file a lawsuit, how serious they are about pursuing it. But I think when you make that type of a of a threat with that type of publicity attached to the threat, mm-hmm. something is going to happen. A lawsuit against the news media, a lawsuit against the owner of the store – the owner of the store would probably be the softer target because at least theoretically he has fewer resources to defend himself. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and and as we mentioned, sort of his point of contention is you you abandoned it. Um, I, I did what I was entitled to do under the agreement that we had or that we signed. Um, d- does, does this mean that if I left... A diary in a public place. I forgot it. I left it on a bench. And it couldn't be traced back to me or they couldn't find me. 
that people could publish what was in my diary? Probably not, because there's a difference between lost property and abandoned property. In an abandoned property situation, the owner has said, okay, the heck with it. It would be like if you threw your diary in the trash can and then somebody came along and pulled it out of the trash. That's abandoned. You've got no claim to that at that point. If you leave it on the bench and you walk off absentmindedly, you haven't abandoned it. You just have misplaced it, and you still have the right to come back and try to retrieve it. But once you make the decision to throw it away, that's why police mm-hmm. can search trash of people because it's abandoned. Mm-hmm. The, the owner's mm-hmm. given up all claim to that property. So in the analogy we're using, where does his treatment of his laptop fit? Is it is it in the trash? If I'm the attorney who is defending this case, I'd say it was in the trash, that he gave it up, he walked off, he may have had other things going on in his life, and that laptop was not that important to him, but whatever, he signed an agreement that if he didn't come back in 90 days, it was gone. And the 90 days passed, and he's lost any property interest in the documents, whether he even had a property interest in in those documents, if they turn out to be government documents, whatever property right he has, I would say he's probably abandoned. This is the throwing laptop trash analogy. Professor of Law, Bill Pyatt, with us on KTSA. Professor, always appreciate your time, your availability. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Jack. All right, I think we need something positive. I want to play something for you that made me feel really good about the future. Um, I I, I don't know a lot about him, but he's a... uh, new Republican congressman uh, from the Houston area. And he got on a tear about, um, well, what happened was he, his name is, is, is uh, name is uh, Congressman Wesley Hunt. He was getting heat for referring to the border crisis as an invasion. And he was getting the race card thrown at him, just like they were throwing it around with Ilhan Omar. And people that throw the race card, more often than not, don't really have a good argument. That They are trying to avoid engaging you because they brought a knife to a gunfight. So the race card is like, you know, look at this, and then they run away. And he was not having it at all. He had just been scolded by his Democratic colleague, and here is Congressman Wesley Hunt. Take a listen to this. But this is actually not about race. This is actually an issue of public safety. And if I call this, if I call this an invasion, sir, I'm not racist. I can assure you I'm not racist. What I can assure you is that I want to make sure that fentanyl doesn't indiscriminately kill any race, religion, color, or creed. Because fentanyl doesn't care where you're from. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. Fentanyl kills indiscriminately. This gentleman right here works his tail off every single day to stop that from happening. Now, there's been a break in the dam, and that's pretty obvious. Because a couple of years ago, of course, we had some problems, but it wasn't amplified to the level that we are seeing every single day. And the reason why we have to be careful with what we call and what we deem racist moving forward in the future is because we stop, we stop losing, we start to lose focus on what the actual problem is. This administration, the Democrat Party, unfortunately, uses race as a scapegoat for everything. And as somebody that wants to make sure that we do attack racist issues when they do occur, we can't be the boy who cried wolf and blame racism all the time. 
I am here to hold this administration accountable to understand that there are issues of race that need to be addressed. And sir, this ain't one of them. I applaud some of your actions in El Paso. It sounds like you're doing some great things. But I'm going to tell you, as being born and raised in Texas, living in Houston, we have a problem. And this problem has precipitated over the course of the past two years. That is a fact. I get working together. I get reaching across the aisle. But this morning, I can't believe that we had a one-hour debate over whether or not we should sing the Pledge of Allegiance before we convene every day. One hour. That, to me, is antithetical to the point of this meeting today. I implore you all to be careful with using race because your son's no longer here. And I'm sorry. There's 100,000 sons and daughters that are no longer here because of fentanyl last year. Yeah, I mean, there's so much good in there. that I love the dig about debating over the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, I, I love the boy who cried wolf. It is an interesting point we don't make often enough that if everything's racist, then nothing is, and you lose the ability to single out, identify, and strike down actual racism. Do you have any idea how tired so many people have become of that word that even if they were... If you were to try to convince them that something actually was racist, they'd be like, "Nope, not hearing it. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not hearing you. I'm not entertaining that possibility. You've lied to me too many times. It's been applied to too many things. It's been stretched to cover everything and anything. I, I, I'm not hearing you." And he's saying, "Well, what are we going to do when we really have it?" It's a great point. And. The border, to me, is like the balloon thing. If we, if we love our country more than we hate our political opponents, then we have moments where we know there's something more important than where Ilhan Omar sits her butt. But we, we've lost that. We've lost that. The pledge was more important. Her committee assignment was more important. That AOC is 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 um, owed an apology, I guess, or something, or needs a cookie, or I don't know, whatever, is more important. And all, and, and and meanwhile, the balloon is just floating along. The balloon's probably already done what it was meant to do. I don't know if it's taking pictures. I don't know if it's spreading something. I don't know. It's probably, if it had nothing on it, if it was just a freaking balloon, it's already done what it was set out to do, which is to show that we can't muster a response to a balloon from an adversary over our country, over our military bases. And we invent excuses. Oh, well, we can't. We could, but we mustn't because of this and because of that. And the way we're going to indicate our displeasure is Antony Blinken is not going to make his his trip. Oh, that'll show them. I'm sure they're crying themselves to sleep over that. So whatever the balloon was carrying or equipped to do, I think it's already done or made the biggest point. What do you think? So we got a story here, uh, Christian, that's kind of about football and about broadcasting, two things that... We like to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's the Tony Romo story. Yeah. And the story goes that, and again, this is if it's true, CBS went to him and expressed concern about the way he's working with Nance and his focus on the weekly broadcasts. 
and they felt that he had slipped or his his analysis or prep for the games had slipped. They are denying that that's what happened. They're saying, well, we had meetings with him, but we always have meetings with our talent, and we always like to coach them and focus them and, and so forth. Um, and I wanted to get your take on this because I, I really like his work. I, I did not think that it had slipped. But I do think the problem with a Tony Romo or Tom Brady, if he goes into the booth, is that every year you're further removed from the game you played, and that uh, initial excitement about Tony Romo was because of, of his immediate experience, because he could talk about playbooks that were still in effect, players he had played against. And, of course, every passing year, you become more and more, you know, there's fewer and fewer things that connect your experience to the game we're seeing today. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think... I. With all due respect, I think you're overthinking it just a little bit because a color guy is there just as much to make the game entertaining and relatable mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. as they are to really break down the X's and O's. Great example being John Madden. You, uh, okay, but I know what you're saying, but I mean, Romo's calling card when he started at CBS was that he would, as before the play started, yeah. he would tell you what was going to happen. Yeah. People really liked that. I mean, that was cool. Yeah. And that got people excited about it. And I'm just saying that shtick gets harder to do with every passing year that you're out of the game. Well, you know, like you said, I don't know if this is true because I hadn't heard this before. And, and I love Jim Nance. I think he's he's arguably the best play-by-play guy uh, left on TV. You know, I was a huge fan of Pat Summerall and Vern Lundquist. And if there's a problem between the two of them, all I can say is in my, you know, in my semi-educated opinion, I can't tell at all. I mean, no, I don't, do a, I don't hear it. I really don't. Great. And as far yeah. as Romo, uh, if we're talking Cowboys broadcasters, I mean, honestly, who would you rather listen to offering color for a football game, Tony Romo or Troy Aikman? Or Greg Olson. Or Greg Olson. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's not even close. But I, I, no. I, I guess I, I wonder about the I – I, I think they've minted a new kind of color commentator – and it's the guy that's kind of cracking open the binder for mm. the fans. And that will only work while he can speak to what he knows. Then he will become the more traditional kind you're describing where it's more, you know, war stories and, you know, mm-hmm. here's how it feels when this happens or that happens. And maybe that's what he's transitioning to, you know, now. I think Romo's the best color guy in TV, football, broadcasting. So if I were CBS, and they'll survive it one way or the other. I mean, honestly, there's people that turn the radio down on TV and listen to their local broadcast. There's people who do it here. So if I were CBS, I'd be real careful about stepping on toes here. Yeah, there you go. All right, 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack Riccardi, I heard the the traffic report. They were talking about potholes and sinkholes, and I, I encountered one. I don't know if you've... I don't know if it's the weather we had or what, but I hit a pothole... Um, Wurzbach Parkway going westbound before the Blanco exit this morning that was life changing. I mean, I felt like everything, I felt like I rearranged my vertebrae, you know? I mean, it, it, it really, it was one of those where all kidding aside, you, you like slow down and listen to the car. Like, is everything still working or the wheels still on? You know, and I don't know if the, 
I don't know if we could have them this soon after the weather or if the roads are just deteriorating in general as they do. Um, but yeah, there's some nasty ones out there and, and, uh, and also, and this is kind of a, I guess, a kind of a conspiracy theory angle that I have. Um, I think as the years go on, um, maintaining roadways becomes less of an obvious thing for politicians to do. If politicians are really going to push for mass transit, if we're really going to discourage private vehicle ownership, and you, you know my thoughts about this, I think the whole EV push is designed for there to be fewer people owning their own vehicle because of the price point. So if that's the goal, then, yeah, roads and the condition of them is less politically sensitive or valuable than it used to be. There was a time when the joke about politicians, the, the way to say somebody was a pure politician was, you know, he fixed the sidewalks or he filled in the potholes, meaning that was the most basic, elemental thing that, that you wanted a, a, a public official to do. Um, I don't, I don't think that's where their head is at anymore at all. And I think we're seeing that in the, in the condition of, uh, roads and, and, uh, streets, surface streets. I mean, obviously federal highways, that's a different thing, but I'm talking about like the, the, the real estate over which the county and the city, uh, has responsibility. Um, I think you're going to see them let those go because they don't want you on them long term. You know, long term. 210-599-5555. Anyway, your thoughts on that? Be careful if you're westbound on Wurzbach Parkway approaching the Blanco exit. You'll, you'll know. If you hit it, you'll know. Um, President Biden said something extraordinary yesterday, which I think might be true. Take a listen to this. Cut number two. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than, more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. More than half the women in his administration are women. See, you have to say that nowadays, right? So what he's saying is more than half of his women are women. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than, more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in, the, in my administration are women. Hmm. I would venture to say that more than half of the women listening to this show right now are women. I can't prove it. Let me know. 210-599-5555. But hey, we gotta give him credit. I think he said something true there. It's a very ugly, uh, thing to watch or even listen to. Uh, there was a beating on a school bus in Florida. And these were little kids, K through three. Two boys are basically wailing on this girl who's curled up in the fetal position over her backpack and her seat back. They're hitting her in the head, neck, and face. This is a little bit of what it sounds like, just a little. mother of the third grade girl says she's pressing charges against the school and criminal charges against the assailants, two of whom can be clearly seen on the video. Um, 
I want to just make a couple of points. It's very sad, and I don't I don't want to do what I think a lot of people do, which is try to capitalize on tragedy or pain to make a political point. But I do want to ask a question. I have to ask. What happened to the anti-bullying uh, campaigns that went on for many years that were highly touted, highly funded? Are those working? Because it seems to me like rather than telling people not to bully, you have to raise young boys and girls, young men and women with character and respect and love. Saying don't bully is kind of like missing the point. You, When you bully, you bully from a place of ugliness. And maybe, um, you know, it, it can come from a welter of emotions and places, but bullies are people that didn't get something they should have gotten at home or what have you. I, I guess I just don't think that worked. I'm not basing it just on this video, but I look at the I look at the way things are. I think you can take your anti-bullying campaign and put it up on the shelf. I don't think that worked. And I also think that it's going to be harder and harder. Again, I want to get your thoughts on this 210-599-5555. It's going to be harder and harder to tell boys and girls to quote unquote do the right thing, to quote unquote treat people the right way. When there is no right, when you have removed all sense of morality and certainty, nothing is absolutely right, nothing is absolutely wrong, nothing is absolutely true. If you want to keep teaching them that, then don't be surprised if they become kind of feral. And don't be surprised if all of a sudden, when suddenly you want to revert back to the golden rule, or, hey, that's not right. Don't be surprised if they have no idea what the F you are talking about because you've stripped all that out of parenting, you've stripped all that out of education, you've stripped all that out of the society. I mean, I'm sorry, but if your kid is a good kid, you have not only done that, but you have actually swam against the tide. You've had to overcome to do that. So there aren't school buses in this country full of children who've all been given the right stuff to equip them for the day. But just saying don't bully, you know, that's like taking a piece of it and and not and disregarding all the other things that that connects to. And I, the other thing I think of when I see something like this is, um, I mean, the mother is right to engage in legal action, but ultimately, how do you send your kid back to a system like that? And when we see the things that are happening in the schools with the teachers and the secrecy and the turning children against their parents, I don't know, how do you go back to that? You could you can speak at the school board meeting, but then do you really want to send, do you really want to send your kid to that? Same school system the following Monday. 210-599-5555. And and, and 
I was thinking when I saw this video, I was thinking that at about the age these kids are, my dad, and it was very, very unpopular at my house. We did not like it. I, none of my siblings and I liked it. My mom didn't like it. My dad got this idea. I'll, I'll never know where he came up with it because it wasn't common. It wasn't done like it is today. He announced that my middle, I'm the oldest, and my middle brother and I, so the two oldest boys, were going to go take martial arts lessons, karate lessons. There were no schools for children to take martial arts like there are now. In order for children, and we were elementary school age, in order for children to take these lessons, they had to take them with adults. And that meant you had to work out with adults, you had to spar with adults, you had to box with adults, you had to get hit in the gut and get the wind knocked out of you by adults. And we did all that. We hated it. It was every Saturday morning. All our friends were watching cartoons and we're at the karate school. But the reason he did it was because he felt like order was breaking down. He didn't feel like you could just send your kids to school with the golden rule or a good attitude or a healthy lunch or, um, you know, the, the notion that, hey, just be a good kid and everything will be all right. He was, he was seeing already the beginnings of the whole, when there's a fight, we're going to punish both sides. And even if a kid is attacked or sucker punched, he'll be in trouble if he defends himself. And my dad told my brother and I, when we started these lessons, I'm, I'm doing this not because I want you to fight or want you to ever start a fight. And he let us know in no uncertain terms the trouble we would be in with him if we started a fight. But what he told us was, I don't trust them, meaning the school, the principal, the administration, the system, to to protect you guys. So you're going to need to defend yourself. I'll back you as long as you were defending yourself, as long as you were reacting to the first punch or you were attacked or you were ambushed. I'll back you, and I want you to have the ability to, to deal with it. The other thing, he, he swore us to secrecy. We couldn't tell anybody at school we were taking these lessons because he knew that that would lead to us being tried and challenged, right? Oh, yeah, let's see what you can do. So we kept it secret, and we did it. We did it for years. Now, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not advocating that necessarily. I'm just making the point that for quite some time, you've been able to tell that the system we used to just send kids into is not up to it. It's not reliable. They don't have our back. They don't have our kids back. And and this little girl is on this bus and no one is coming to her aid. And I, I'm not picking on the children, but I mean, we need to ask ourselves about the whole thing, not just the, the boys that are hitting her. The whole thing is a breakdown, I think. Yesterday we were talking about that uh, commercial that's for... Uh, I forget what it's called, but it, you you send your girlfriend or your wife pajamas for Valentine's Day. What is that called, Don? Is it pajamagram? Something like that. Yeah. So you the 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 gist of it is the perfect gift for Valentine's Day is pajamas, and uh, we were kind of riffing on that a little bit. Valentine's Day is coming up. It is the season. Tis the season. In fact, really, starting with the beginning of the year, uh, surveys and studies have shown that more people start going to dating sites or trying to meet someone or trying to reactivate their romantic life. It's one of those New Year's resolutions, this is going to be the year kind of things that people do. So 
since we're coming up on it, since we're in the season, I want to ask a question. And I'm going to open up the phone lines for this question, 210-599-5555. Now, we've, we've talked about how politics can work or not work when it comes to the chemistry between two people. But what is something, and, and maybe your answer will be politics, but maybe it'll be something else. What is something you should never talk about on a first date? What is something you should never talk about on a first date? 210-599-5555. And I mean, the thing about first dates is there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's a lot of different ways to go with it. You know, you can make it kind of a neutral experience where it's not about either one of you. You do something that's just kind of fun and you're just sort of together doing it like miniature golf or watch a movie. Or some people think that first dates need to be the whole getting to know. Let's let's ask a hundred questions of each other about our lives. and I know where you're from. I want to know all about you. Some people do that. Some people think you need to kind of space that out, spread that out over a few dates. I'm one of those people. I don't think it's a good idea to make it a job interview, but whatever. What What is something, though, that you should never talk about on a first date? You know what my big one is? I mean, I'm going back now because obviously I'm a fossil, but back back in the 90s, okay, when this was a relevant question for me. The, the real red flag for me, the real no-go zone, no-fly zone, your ex. It's so easy to fall into that. I'm sure people tell themselves, I'm not going to bring it up. I won't bring her up. I won't talk about him. But it's so hard not to, right? But I just think, and, and tell me if you agree or disagree, I think you got to stay far, far. That's like a minefield. They don't want to know. They don't need to know. You don't need to be talking about it. You're not at your best when you are talking about it. What would you say? I would say your ex. Thing you should not talk about on a first date. 210-599-5555. They say that, I don't know if you saw this or not, they say that Sarah Huckabee Sanders, remember she was Trump's, press secretary, and now she's the governor of Arkansas. She was sworn in last month as the governor of Arkansas. She will deliver the Republican response to President Biden's State of the Union address next week. They always pick a Republican, and traditionally, they always pick a member of the opposition party, I should say. And traditionally, it's become like a, almost like a, um, it's like getting to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl or something. It's a feature position, you know. Uh, so the, the presumption is when the Republicans or the Democrats pick their person to do this, they're promoting that person as a star, rising star of the future. Is, is Sarah Huckabee Sanders a rising star in the Republican Party? I don't know. I'm not saying she isn't. I'm just not sure that she is. Um, she's the youngest governor in the country. Um, I, I do, like her and her politics a great deal more than I liked Mike Huckabee's politics or dad, but we'll see, see how she does. The other thing about it, so it's, it's sort of a feature position, but it's also, it's also a minefield. It's really, it's, it's, it's really, uh, something that can go wrong in a lot of different ways. Kind of like a first date, right? So first date, maybe you're back in the scene after a divorce or maybe you're still looking or, 
whatever the case might be, what is something you absolutely should never talk about when you're first meeting somebody? 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. And I'll say X. What about politics? You know, I think you got to read the room on that one. Like, if you know the person is uh, politically compatible with you, then I think, and you know that, then I think that's a fine topic. But you have to know that because it gets very, very awkward if you just sort of, you know, take a <laughs> take a flying leap into that uh, field. And I, and I also, I'm not sure that really is the best sort of icebreaker anyway, because, you know, what you really want to do, you want the person to leave whatever you're together for an hour or two or whatever it is. When they they leave, when you go your separate ways, you want the person to wish that they didn't have to go. I wish I didn't have to say goodnight. And and I don't think a political discussion, not too many times have I had a political discussion where I was like, boy, I wish this never could end, you know. Do some talk about something that makes you laugh. Talk about something that's, um, I don't know, relatable. I, I I probably wouldn't do the politics thing again, with the exception being if you know that he or she is your political, you know, twin, and you're both you both have the same level of enthusiasm and appetite for it. Then I guess you can do it. But two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Susan says Jack at KTSA dot com. COVID. You shouldn't talk about COVID on a first date. Well, yeah, I, I, well, yes. Why would you? I don't. I didn't realize that was even an option. I don't know what she. She just wrote COVID, like having had it, or your position on it, or don't don't give the other person COVID. Or I don't. I don't know. Okay. Um. Bob says uh, you shouldn't talk about how much money you make. Huh. Yeah, how would that come up on a first date? I mean, are you being asked by the person or are you volunteering it? I remember one time I went on a first date and I did not ask, and I don't know how this came up, but the woman told me that she had two cars, you know, she had two cars. She had a car and a truck. But not only did she have a car and a truck, the the truck was lifted and the car was, I think, like a Mustang or some kind of muscle car. She'd had them custom painted to match each other. And it seemed like, and I'm a car guy, but it seems like a very random thing to reveal on a first date. I wasn't sure I was supposed to be impressed if she thought that would like, you know, that'll lure the men in. And maybe it would, right? It seemed like a very random thing. So maybe like avoid the random blurts, you know, fun facts about you kind of thing. Maybe maybe save those for number two or number three. Uh, 210-599-5555. You can email me. Uh, we're getting some on email, jack at ktsa.com. What should you never talk about on a first date? John is on the radio on KTSA. Hi, John. Hi, Jack. How are you today? Doing well, John. How are you? I'm good. So I'm going to kind of quote a comedian, and I cannot remember his name, but it's one of my favorite sketches. And he said he went on a first date with a girl, 
and they met up and they were at a restaurant. She looked at him. She said, Oh, we would have beautiful children together. And he said, Oh, great. Let's have sex. And she said, ah, don't you think you're rushing things a little bit? To which he said, Hey, you're nine months ahead of me. <laughs> okay. And I didn't see where that was going, but that is funny. Um, you probably don't want to talk about having children together anyway on a first date. I think that would be really weird. But people do it because as they get older and biological clocks are ticking down, I, I have heard this, I've seen this happen, uh, where people start basically letting you know right up front that they're in this for a, you know, for the purpose of it leading to procreating. So I guess you could say, well, if that really is why someone is out there, then they're they're just being honest. But I will say, for me, that would be an immediate, not, not just a red flag, that would be like a huge red banner that covers the entire side of the building. You know, that's like, what, what, whoa, wait a minute, you know? And um, I think these all kind of fall into the category of your, you got to save some material for the second, the third, the fourth, which you hope there will be, right? Don't put it all in the first session, you know? Just give them a little uh, introductory, you know? Give them like the sample size of you, you know? This is the sample size of me. Just, you know, see what you think. It's like a paint chip, you know? You don't... You don't give them the whole gallon of paint. Just here's a little paint chip. This is what it might be like to spend time with me, talk to me, do things with me. Monday, you got through a Tuesday, you got through a Wednesday, you started to smell it. Thursday, you were right on top of it. And now it's here! It's Friday! It's time to rock and roll! Break out the speakers! Blow your cars and it up! Get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday! Whoa! All right, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. The stores, by the way, already have the Easter stuff out. I mean, you better hurry up with your Valentine's Day because that's already picked over. You <laughs> already got the Easter stuff out. Um, but anyway, with Valentine's Day and people making New Year's resolutions about their love life, what is the one thing you should never talk about on a first date? 210-599-5555. At any age, uh, you know, where, wherever you are in the dating uh timeline if it's a first date um what is something you just should not what's a no-go topic brandon writes to jackiektsa.com jack i rarely disagree with you but i do on this i always talk about politics on a first date because it's way better to find out if she's a liberal from the start yeah i i get that i can see that um and yeah if you get a vibe that this is going to be somebody that's you know, hard to be around, or maybe they're kind of militant about their uh, viewpoint, uh, or you are, you know, I guess you got to know that right away. So Brandon, that's a good point. Brandon says he, he uses politics to kind of weed him out. Uh, Monica says something similar. She says, I have to know if I, uh, I don't want to go on another date if the person I am dating uh, has a moral difference with me. So like Brandon, she she wants to get into the, the nitty-gritty, 
right away. Um, I, mean, I guess you could probably just give them a questionnaire, right? <laughs> you know, there's a just slide a tablet across the table. You know, here's just if you wouldn't mind, just uh, while we're waiting for our drinks, uh, here's a little survey I'm taking. Um, I, I suppose first dates are probably different now that m- people are meeting on like uh, either apps or like Facebook dating or stuff like that. Because, you know, back in the old days, if you went on a first date, you were maybe asking somebody out cold or you were being matched up or fixed up by a friend or coworker or somebody in your family. So what I'm saying is you used to fly into these things. Truly, you were, you were flying blind. You, you really didn't know. And now you probably are sitting across the table from someone whose profile has all kinds of blanks filled in. I mean, people say on those things whether they want children, uh, have children, whether they're religious, uh, whether they drink or smoke. or So a lot of the stuff that you used to have to kind of work into the conversation, you now know you've got the, you've got all the research, right? Assuming they're, they're being truthful. But I mean, would kind of make sense to be. Um, you, so you probably don't have to do the kind of weeding and sorting and sitting there going, Oh, I hope she doesn't say something crazy or I hope he doesn't say something that, you know, immediately rules him out. Now you kind of already, you're, you're, you're past all that. Right. One thing I've noticed with friends of mine that use these apps, though, is it gets it gets to where they're so I don't know if it's addiction or what they get so into the screening and the chatting and the selecting and the messaging back and forth that I think they procrastinate about actually meeting like before all that you wanted to get to the first date. You know, that was like, I want to see opening night. Let's see how this movie is, right? Now, you can convince yourself that, well, we're just, we're just chatting. You know, friends of mine will say, yeah, yeah, this is really great girl, this really great lady. I, I met through such and such an app. So have you met them yet? Well, no, we're, we're, we're chatting. I'm like, but that was months ago. Yeah, but we're just, we're still just chatting. I'm like, is that, really valuable or is that just procrastinating and putting off the inevitable and maybe you're afraid to you know have your hopes dashed or whatever so those things can be a i i guess they're probably great they're a boon for shy people uh you know back when we were doing this we had to approach a stranger (laughs) we had to take our chances You, you you don't have to do that anymore you never have to really uh put your neck on the line so i guess that's good but I do think people can become a little um, where they overthink it or over, you know, they stretch out that screening part. And the and the uh, apps and so forth are designed to encourage you to do that, right? That we're, we give you all the tools and you've got the power and you can swipe left or right or however they work. And um, you become like a window shopper, basically. So. Bees and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans not cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'm 
Well, here we go. Here we are. We find ourselves on a Friday night, and that means the dish. We're going to talk restaurants in this last hour of the last show of the week. And what it means is the way you would talk about a restaurant to a friend or a coworker, right? Not a restaurant review. Just the way you would say, hey, I tried this place, and it's over here, and this is what was good, and you ought to go there and get this when you go. Or here's where it went off the rails. Here's where they lost me. So 210-599-5555. We're talking about all kinds of restaurants, from the highest price to the lowest price, from the chains to the mom and pops, from the big places to the hole in the wall, downtown, northeast, west, south, Outside San Antonio, South Texas, if you can drive to it, you know, we'll include it. And I want to hear about where you had lunch or where you had dinner or what you had or how the service was great or whatever it might be. You can praise or zing. I wish two years ago that uh, on January 6th that the insurrection never did happen. (laughs) Ah, the Guam guy. Guam's going to tip over. You need to find that one done. You need to find that guy worrying about Guam tipping over. Uh, my Guam tipped over years ago. I don't know about you. But anyway, uh, 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish. Phone lines open, 210-599-5555. And, of course, along the way, we'll have the results on the JR poll. Um, see how you voted tonight on the uh, question about the, the spy balloon which is still up there, and uh, we'll keep you posted if anything, should anything happen to the balloon, we will uh, let you know. Uh, it appears to be quite safe. Um, looks like uh, the radar politicians are going, uh, the balloon has nothing to worry about. We might have something to worry about, but not the balloon. All right, um, so we're talking restaurants. Um, I, I noticed that... Um, this came out this week, a study conducted by a marketing uh, company has ranked HEB ahead of Costco and Amazon as the best grocery uh, retailer in the country. Of course, they're not national like Costco and Amazon are, but HEB was put on the top of the list by a company called Dunhumby, which is out of the UK. And um, according to what I read, they uh, survey people about things like price, uh, promotions, quality of uh, products, speed, convenience, uh, website, all that stuff. And um, HEB scored extremely high in the price category, quality category, and for having a strong emotional connection with its customers. And um, the company noted that a lot of the other retail companies or chains would do well in one category but poorly in the others, and that HEB consistently performed well across all the different uh, measurements, all the different benefits. So what I find so interesting about that is... um, you obviously couldn't ask people all over the country, right? You can only ask people that have had the experience. And those people must be very, very, very 
intense in their feelings. And in fact, that is the case. I mean, when you talk about HEB, I don't know if, I mean, if you've not lived in other parts of the country, you, you wouldn't realize that there isn't this level of attachment to whatever the local chain is. Like when I lived in upstate New York, there were three, sort of three companies duking it out. They were all, this was before you could get, you know, groceries at Target and stuff. But there were three supermarket chains. People had their favorites. But generally it was, it was whichever one was closest to you or, or, you know, none of them were passionate. None of the fan bases were as passionate as HEB people are. And you even see it in the advertising. Like, I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but HEB makes a big deal out of its own brand stuff. And I remember when generics first came out, that was not something you would have advertised or featured in your marketing because it was considered kind of humdrum, you know, like, uh, this is the, the no name thing they used to call it, the no name green beans or the no name bread or whatever. But, you know, they, they know that when they put their stamp on something or Hill Country Fair on something, it becomes not just, it, it isn't generic. It actually becomes a brand people are very loyal to. So interesting, but seems like it's well, uh, well earned by HEB. Um, I don't really think of Costco as a supermarket. I mean, I know they have a lot of stuff, but you have to buy so much of it, you know? So I guess it is for people that need that much, but 210-599-5555. We're talking restaurants on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And it can be a, it can be a coffee shop or a donut place or a food truck or anything like that. As we talk, uh, restaurants on the dish and get to your calls on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, we were, um, uh, talking off the air a little bit um, about um, when when I'm not here. Don, I want to bring you into this. So when I'm not here or I'm not going to be here, we can either run a recorded show or we can have a guest host, right? Those are the two choices, right? Yes, those are the two choices. We can either run, we can either run an hour of me from the recent past or we can have somebody come in. And I've been thinking that now that so many people are listening to the podcasts, it probably makes more sense to repeat an hour than to bring in a different host. Does that make sense? Well, it keeps having like a little meeting here now. It it keeps it consistent. Do you agree with that? I mean, you know. Yeah, because I'm actually starting to think that more and more people are not hearing this show when it is actually going on. Like right now. There's a whole audience that's going to hear this show, but they're not listening right now. And they don't mind that when they do hear it, like if they listen to it tomorrow or Sunday, it's several hours old or a couple of days old. If they want to hear it, they want to hear it. So that makes me think, you know, that's probably it's kind of where we're going, right? And I think there's a comfort thing that's kind of going on uh, in the emotions because there's a routine, and once and people, you know, are kind of set in their ways. Most people are, and and uh, once that routine is kind of broken up, it 
yeah. kind of kind of shakes you up a little bit. So yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And I mean, it's just so you know. Although I think about this stuff a lot, I don't have control. <laughs> I don't have control over it because I don't run the place. But um, it, it has become more and more. I'm hearing from more and more people, and I mean, it, it's it's past the point of being even like fifty percent. But I'm hearing from more and more people that that are saying, like in their emails or their other communication with me, hey, I listen um, on the weekends, or I listen at night, or I listen, you know, when I take my walk in the morning, or I go jogging on the treadmill at the health club in the morning, or whatever it is. And so I'm thinking, if that's the experience, you know, that I'm not, I don't need this to be live, then when I have to take a day off or time off, that's probably what we're going to do. I think, of course, like I said, it's not entirely up to me. 210-599-5555 on the dish, and Matt is on the radio. Happy Friday, Matt. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Good, sir. How are you? Uh, So I went to one of my favorite places today, uh, and it was stellar again. It's uh, called the Original Donut Shop. It is on Fredericksburg Road. Uh, close to the intersection of Babcock, and mm-hmm. they have breakfast tacos, um, uh, other Mexican food, and donuts. Most people I know call it hot donuts, and it's pretty amazing. What's your favorite thing to get there? Uh, for donuts, I think it would have to be an apple fritter, and uh, any of the tacos are just outstanding. Uh, the bean and cheese are great or the country sausage and egg there you just can't go wrong hmm. i have not tried the apple fritters there and i kind of kind of a fritter guy so i'm gonna have to try that i do like the donuts and i do like the breakfast tacos yeah that's been there for it's been there forever right i mean it was old when i got here yeah i think i was a little a little kid when i first started going there yeah i mean just down the street from tip top cafe and both of them have been around for Forever. 3307 Fredericksburg Road, original donut shop. Great job, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it. We haven't had a call about it since 2015 on the dish. The original donut shop. Uh, 210-599-5555. And Don is on the dish on KTSA. Hey, Don, happy Friday. No, Don. Okay. Gave him a big build-up, gave him the happy Friday. I meant it when I said it. Ever since we did that segment about saying things, what do you say frequently that you don't mean? I don't know if that affected you at all, but I am checking. I go through like a little millisecond check to make sure I'm, I mean what I'm... So if I if I say happy Friday, I mean it. I even mean it to Don. Oh, he was not there to hear it. The tree falls in the forest. 210 210-599-5555. I've had more people tell me that was um, uncomfortable because they realized, at first they thought it was kind of funny or like a frivolous topic, but then they realized we, we all, we're all doing it. We're all saying things that just kind of tumble out of our mouth, not intentionally, but we're, they're not, they're not sincere or they're not, we're not sure of them. And the number one category of response when we did that show, was people saying, I'm fine, I'm doing great, doing fine, doing okay, when they're not. 
And I mean, granted, you got to pick your moments. You can't tell every single person you meet about every single problem you're having in your life. You you, you wouldn't want to do that. They don't want you to do that. But uh, yeah, yeah, do you do you say things you don't mean? So when I when I say Happy Friday night, I do mean it, and I want you to have a good one. And if you have been out to eat today or last night or sometime this week, and you feel like talking about it, we'll take those calls two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five on the dish. Um, but this was kind of odd. I read this week that there's a company in Dallas, a bioscience company, that specializes in de-extinction, the use of genetic technology to bring back clones of extinct species. And they announced this week that they have raised a huge uh, you know, capital fund to do this big story about it in the washington times i'm thinking to myself isn't that the plot of jurassic park basically that we have the science and wouldn't it be cool and then of course the jurassic park movies are about how it's cool but it's not i mean this is one of those times i know it's a saying but this is one of those times when you could literally say I've seen this movie and I know the way it ends. So I don't know. I don't know how I would, I, I don't think I'm a fan of this concept. Like when things go extinct, especially if they went extinct centuries before we came along, bringing them back seems really irresponsible. I could see if it was some species that, you know, the old, oh, the, the last spotted leopard just died and we, we don't want to be without spotted leopards. So we're going to, we're going to clone one of that. I could see that. But if you're bringing back stuff from way, 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 way back in the day, they might be mad at us, you know? Just saying. 210-599-5555. There's a saying. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's along the lines of just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that's a good Axiom for science, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish. You can also uh, email me, jack at ktsa.com uh, if you have a restaurant you want to talk about. And don't hesitate if it's a place that's been called in before, you've heard people talk about before, because almost every, almost every restaurant probably has been called in before. But I want to get your take. I want to know what you thought when you went or... What's going on there right now with you? And Michael is next on the radio on KTSA. Happy Friday night, Michael. Hey, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Doing well. Hey, good. Uh, I wanted to call in about uh, a place, a little Thai restaurant called Bangkok 54 off of Nagadoshis there. Mm. Some excellent, excellent food. Um, The Thai red chicken curry is phenomenal. Um, service is great. It's a small little mm-hmm. restaurant, but it's, mm-hmm. it's some really good stuff. Um, and I'm probably a little prejudiced because I probably eat there three to five times a week. Wow. <laughs> but that it, is, it's that good. You're their best customer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's really good. If you're into Thai food, mm-hmm. that's a great place to go. Yeah, I definitely am. Um, w- my favorite thing there is the pineapple fried rice. And I know fried rice is not great for you, but 
That is like a oh, meal I'm, and a dessert all together. All, all in one, yes. Um, and I'm looking over the comments we've had over the years, and really, you mentioned the 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 Thai curry. That's really the most commonly mentioned thing. A lot of people mention oh, the curry shrimp uh, or the pad Thai, the pad one sun. But yeah, the the curry is, I guess, one of their calling cards. And you're right; it's kind of a small little place. It doesn't have a very good sign. You know, you could drive right by it and not even know it's there, no, right? No, no. no you and if you're coming right up by, from it, if you're coming up from 410, it's on the left, right? It's on the left, about two blocks up on uh, Nacogdoches outside yeah. of four, uh, 410, yeah. And they got a sign out there, best Thai food in town. And I have to agree, because I've eaten in many different Thai places, and this one without question is the best. It is a really good one. I'm with you on that. Great job. Great choice. Uh, great call on that. Michael, thank you. Bangkok 54 is the name of the restaurant. 2515 Nacogdoches Road, Bangkok 54. Couple of blocks north of 410 on your left as you're going north on Nacogdoches. 210-599-5555 as we take your calls on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Woody's on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Woody. Hey, happy Friday, Jack. Happy Friday. So, Pasha, Mediterranean grill off of uh, Wurzbach. Yes. Yeah, so last last Friday I was in San Antonio finishing up some business and I was running late for lunch. It was about 2 o'clock and I wanted to stop in there and I just never have. So I did. To start with, the service was incredible. That that place was pretty packed. It It had a few tables open. I was seated immediately. I had no sooner ordered my drink, and I thought I was going to, I kind of knew what I wanted on the menu, but I ordered my drink, and I thought that I was going to have time for a phone call. They brought out my iced tea, this huge non-bread that was the size of a placemat. They had to fold it like three times to get it on the plate. And then it came with a bowl of oil and feta cheese and some Mm. herbs. And I I placed my order, and I reached for my phone. And, I, Jack, I'm not kidding you. They brought that plate out that I ordered. I ordered the the beef shawarma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they brought it out immediately. And it was amazing. Tender beef cooked on that thing that spins around. Uh, with the flame on the back. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they call it, but that along with a salad and the hummus and the sauces and, oh, my God, amazing. Um, I love that place. Yeah, that you you, you described yeah. it really well. And had you been there before or was that your first time? No, I'd, I'd never been there. My kids have told me about it, and yeah. I've never been there. Now, I will tell you, there are other. they have other locations. There's two or three others. I think the one you went to is the best one. I would, re- if people have a choice, I would go to the one on Wurzbach. It's right off I ten. It's very easy to get to, and um, I just feel like what you just described, the experience you just described, is more likely to happen there than at their other locations. Although they're all good. Hmm. Well, I had a I had a great meal, and it was yeah. delicious. 
Excellent. Yeah, good choice. Pasha is great. Uh, one of the things I love about that menu, and, and Woody, thanks for the call. Praise for Pasha uh, on Wurzbach. It's ninety three thirty nine Wurzbach at I ten. I think one of the one of the things I like about that place is I'll I'll suggest Pasha or a place with a menu like that. That Mediterranean menu. John the Greek is like this too. Because if you've got people and you're trying to make everybody happy or something for everyone, there's something for everyone in that kind of menu. You know, if somebody's a vegetarian, if somebody just wants a salad, if somebody's very hungry and wants, you know, a lot of protein on the plate, you've got the chicken, the lamb, the beef, the salads, the rice, the, just a lot of choices. Very, very great appetizers, great little baklava desserts and other desserts. Yeah, very good stuff. Pasha. I had to do it last night. I watched Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. I, I, I love that movie. I've watched it many, many times. But I was thinking yesterday, what the heck? I don't know if I've ever actually watched it on Groundhog Day. So I did. And um, I, I'm always blown away. But it's a, it's a comedy, obviously. But And we talked about this one time on the air, and some people agreed and some people disagreed. I think it's kind of a deep movie. Like, I think there's something more going on than just the slapstick Bill Murray stuff. I mean, he's at, he's at the peak of his comedic, uh, chops in that movie. He's so good. And everybody in it with him is great. Annie McDowell's amazing. But, um, I just, to me, I, and I don't know, I've never read an interview to the effect of whether or not they admit this. I, I feel like the director and the scriptwriter are making a point. And there's some very dark, and what is a comedy, there's some very dark stuff in there about, you know, he, he, he tries killing himself because he's trying to see if he can end this day, and he can't. And uh, anyway, so I watched that last night. And then I read this today. Now, you know, we have this thing with Punxsutawney Phil every year, right? Did he see his shadow? They pull him out of that hole in the ground. Did you hear what happened in Canada on Groundhog Day? They have a, their version of Punxsutawney Phil is Fred La Marmot, which is, I guess, French for groundhog. And they went to the hole, the nest, the lair, whatever you call it, on Groundhog Day, and Fred was dead. Organizers broke the news to a shocked crowd. There to celebrate the tradition of watching him emerge and either see his shadow, meaning six more weeks of winter, or not, meaning an early spring. So what does it mean when the groundhog is dead? I mean, death comes to all of us. <laughs> they announced it to the crowd, and they said he was nine years old. And I don't know, is that... You know, you don't know with animals, like nine might be... Ancient for a groundhog. But um, they're grief stress. So now in Canada, they have no idea how long winter will be. So see, there's the bright spot. At least Punxsutawney Phil still still going strong. Although, do we know that? He could be animatronic. Maybe that Dallas company cloned him. You know, we don't know.
How'd you like to be the guy that reached in there and pulled out the dead hedgehog? Whew. That's not your best day, you know? Honey, how was your day? Well, you know. 210-599-5555. Um, speaking of the weather, we obviously had a, a freeze here, and we all freaked out and things closed. I was reading, because I, I take an interest in this because my family's up there, the coldest air mass on the entire surface of the planet is going to be over New England tonight. They are getting a polar vortex event where a mass of air has escaped the Arctic and broken southward into the northeastern part of North America, so Canada and New England. And to put it in perspective... This is the kind of weather that is ordinarily only seen over central Siberia. And you think of Siberia, right? Like, whoa, like, we're sending it to Siberia. So wind chills tonight in New England of 50 to 60 below zero. Kind of makes our thing look like, you know, maybe we should have pulled it together a little better, right? But again, you know, it's, everything's relative. We're not built for it. They are, and so forth and so on. But yeah, that's, that's crazy. 50 below zero. 210, 599, 55, 55. But back to Groundhog Day. It, it, there were, there were two thoughts I had. I always think when I watch it, although it's very funny and I'm, it's laugh out loud funny, it does have some serious sort of points to ponder. But the other thing, do you ever do this when you watch an older movie? If you watch a movie that is, I'm going to just pick a number, if it's more than 20 years old or 25 years old, and Groundhog Day is 30 years old this year, but if you watch a movie that's 25 years old or more, do you ever think to yourself as you're watching the plot and the storyline, could this happen with cell phones or smartphones? Like I always think, what would this story be like if they had smartphones? Because there's so many times in a movie where there's confusion or deception or isolation or somebody doesn't know what to do or what's happening or the answer to something. And you could do that in a movie. You could say, well, I don't, I don't know. There's no way to know. We don't know. We don't really, there aren't that many times in our lives now that we can't get somebody or get the information or get the news or reach somebody right i mean we're we just take that for granted so like in groundhog day he's stuck in that little town and every day is the same day over and over again but if he could just call pittsburgh where he's from right can't do it in fact he tries remember the the phone lines are down the landlines are down now i'm not saying i go all the way back and like watch casablanca I imagine Ilsa with a cell phone. I'm not talking about that far back, but like when you when you look at like the more modern classics, do you ever think what would how would this be different or could you even have this plot or could you even create this situation with these characters if everybody had a smartphone? And I'm not saying they're the answer to everything, but we're just a lot more clued in or connected, right? So I don't know. Kind of, kind of what I do. Kind of how I pass the time. 
Democrats. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women on the, in my administration are women. <laughs> oh man, these are the times we live in. You're a woman, but are, are you a woman? Yes, I'm a woman, and I'm a woman. That's that's it. That's the that's an actual conversation now. Um, all right. Well, on the uh, JR poll across all our platforms, we asked, should we shoot down China's spy balloon? Because let's face it, no. At the beginning of the week, people were making the case. Well, maybe it's not. It's a spy balloon. Okay. I mean, it, it's you know, it, it, the only thing it's it's lacking is like you know. Evil villain music <laughs> playing in the background. So should it be shot down? Should it already have been shot down? 93% say yes. 7% say no to our beautiful, beautiful balloon. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear that song the same way again. Riccardi ruins another one. The music of somebody else's life. All right, so um, a lot of good balloon songs, right? 99 Luft Balloons. All right, uh, actually two. All right, so. That one's questionable. Yeah, it is. That really is questionable. Yeah, Nana, Nina. Is it Nana, Nana, Nina? It was an 80s hit. Um, I remember some stations played it in German, which did not help. And, um, yeah, it's, it was like the kind of song that, like, People that hang around bookstores and look unhappy all day, they were really into it. But yeah, I think we went with the right one. I think, I think up, up and away is our, uh, is our choice. The other one we could play maybe next week is Eye in the Sky, Alan Parsons project. We might want to, maybe we'll, um, you know, as time goes, as the balloon story unfolds, if we need a secondary theme, maybe we'll go with, uh, Alan Parsons project. Speaking of music, um, this is the anniversary. Uh, I've I've seen this all over today, and it's 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 amazing how for as many years as have gone by. I mean, this is sixty four years removed. Um, people still remember this being the day the music died, quote unquote, February third, nineteen fifty nine, a plane crash. Uh, t- in uh, I think in Iowa, right, takes the life lives. Of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson, known as the Big Bopper, along with the pilot, and these were all three very popular uh, and up-and-coming uh, stars, and they were rushing from one gig to the next. Uh, they were on one of those multiple act tours. They were touring with other people. I think Dion and the Belmonts and some other bands were also on the tour. But these three hopped in a plane. Because back then bands tended to take buses or cars and the plane would be more comfortable and quicker and, and it didn't make it. But I, the thing that has kept the memory of this alive, I think people would say, right, Don, is, is the Don McLean song, American Pie. But then if you think about it, that song is now over 50 years old. So I guess that has helped, but it's still an, just an enduring story. Uh, and I, I have had people that are way too young and have probably never, ever heard 
the actual songs by like Buddy Holly and so forth. Ask me about this, and it's just because they've heard people talk about it, and there's something evocative about the the term, the phrase, the day the music died. And of course, uh, those songs have never completely gone away, and that day has never completely gone away. And we're going to leave you tonight with with one um, from Buddy Holly and the Crickets, and see you back here live Monday at 4. Have a great weekend. Without pain.